Yarn. Yarn number six. Anthem. Summer, 1991, Kilkenny, Ireland. My granny is turning 88. I'm five and a half. And my party piece is to sing the national anthem, Aron the Vian. Except I don't know the words. The melody's impressive though. Even if everyone didn't think so. I don't remember when exactly I first encountered the anthem. Before the 1990 World Cup final between West Germany and Argentina, I remember asking my brother if na, 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 would be played. No, he said, because Ireland aren't playing. From then, I must have started putting it together that this music had something to do with Ireland. It definitely hit home late. One Friday night, around five years later. I'd stayed awake all the way through the Late Late Show to see just what happened afterwards. See, these days it's easy to forget that there was a time when television just stopped for the night. In Ireland, the end of transmission was preceded by a prayer at bedtime. A minute-long piece showing ordinary people doing ordinary things. Voiced over by a gentle soul asking God for guidance or solace. At the close of our day, O oh Lord, may we find rest in you, a rest we feel and experience in the world which surrounds us. Then, another voice from the RTE control room would run through the following day's schedule before wishing viewers a good night. That, it seemed, was that. you enjoyed our film. Until next time, from Colin Quinn, our director this evening, and myself, Noel Fogarty, a very good night to you. Do sleep well. Good night. But just as I sat forward to make the weary walk to bed, something else came on. short film showing scenes from Irish nature, played over by Aron Levian. The graceful orchestrations of the music, in tandem with rolling waves, meandering streams, native heather dotted around the emerald landscape, natural Ireland in all its splendour. But as whimsical as it might sound, the film sent me a very definite message. This is Ireland, and you are Irish. It's one of the warmest memories I have from my childhood. National anthems became popular among European powers in the 19th century, but their origins go back further. The Dutch anthem Wilhelmus is thought to be the oldest, 
having first emerged in the later 16th century. Japanese anthem, Kimagayo, has lyrics that were written in the Heian period, around a thousand years ago. See, that's not normal, because as history unfolds, nations often change their interpretation about what it is that makes them so glorious. After World War II, for example, Germany had to have a good long look at itself and change its anthem's lyrics. When General Franco died in the 1970s, Spain removed the lyrics used during his rule. La Marcia Real was supposed to get new words, but it never did. There are other ways that divided societies deal with historical conflict or subjugation in their anthems. Five of South Africa's 11 official languages are used in its anthem, which is also unusual because it modulates and changes key. You see, not many anthems do that. Apparently. Having listened to a fair few anthems, it's clear to me that they nearly all have the same themes. A country's beauty, overcoming national adversity and looking forward to a bright future with the help of God. They all kind of sound the same too. Patriotic. In a European kind of way. Even non-European anthems often sound like they are trying to fit into what a national anthem should sound like. Saudi Arabia, for example. Bangladesh, on the other hand, definitely keeping it real. The most exotic thing about the Irish National Anthem is that it's in Irish, which, because of our difficult history, is not the most widely spoken language on the island. I'm fairly sure most Irish people don't know exactly what the words are saying. But what most people do presume is that Aran the Vian is about resisting British rule. And they're not wrong about that. Actually, it's a rebel song, originally in English, entitled The Soldier's Song. 
We'll sing a song, a soldier's song, with cheering, rousing chorus. The lyrics were written by Potter Carney in around 1907. The music was later composed by Patrick Heaney. Impatient for the coming fight And as we wait the morning's light Here in the silence of the night We will chant a soldier's song was reportedly sung by volunteers at Rebo headquarters during the 1916 Easter Rising. Which, in Irish nationalist terms, is kind of like saying Jesus was singing it while carrying the cross. As Ireland passed out of revolution in the 1920s, the new state searched for something that could be used during ceremonies at home and abroad. Almost by default, the soldier's song started to do the trick. Fairly soon, an Irish translation by Liam O'Ryan became the most well-known version. At big sporting events, Aron Naveen is sung, usually by the crowd, before the game begins. This is how we, the Irish, really get to know our anthem. President of the GAA has witnessed many great occasions, and he, like the rest of us, will remember this one. The French anthem, La Marseillaise, is one of the most famous national hymns. It stems from France's revolutionary period in the 1790s, when radicals overturned centuries of tradition, obliterated the once mighty monarchy and created the Republic. The French Revolution is the moment of modern history because it demonstrates the possibility of change in a way that was previously unimaginable. And because of that, it's very attractive to anyone with even a little bit of idealism. But a deeper analysis of the period reveals a much more complex reality in which the relentless nature of political violence is so revealed that it ends up just looking like violence. Against this backdrop, La Marseillaise emerged, written in 1792 by Claude Joseph Rouget de Lille. De Lille went to work when he heard war with Austria had been declared. Now, despite the paradigm shift taking place in France at the time, Claude falls back on a tribal fear of the foreigner to mobilize the French to defend their nation. To arms, citizens. Form your battalions. Let's march. Let's march. Let an impure blood soak our fields. I began really engaging with national anthems on the CD-ROM encyclopedia in Carta, which was delivered to many an Irish home as part of a PC package in the mid-90s. There was an article on every country, along with an electronic keyboard version of the respective anthem, which actually sounded more like a Nokia 3210 ringtone. 
The Russian anthem on Encarta turned out to be a temporary filler used after the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. In 2000, the new president Putin resurrected the old Soviet anthem and gave it new lyrics. Now, the reason for reviving an anthem associated with a past that many Russians wanted to move away from is obvious. The old Soviet anthem, quite simply, is a much more inspiring piece of music. The Soviet TV end of transmission from 1984 can be seen on YouTube, while the anthem plays a film that depicts the fellowship, solidarity and limitless potential that the USSR so badly wanted to be is played. If you watch it and feel nothing, well, you really are just a heartless and lonely capitalist. The US National Anthem the Star Spangled Banner was officially adopted in 1931, but its lyrics date back to the War of 1812, when author Francis Scott Key witnessed the bombardment of Fort McHenry as British forces tried to take the city of Baltimore. The rockets, red glare and bombs bursting in air illuminated the night sky and provided light so that Key could see a huge American flag flying defiantly over the fort. And if that doesn't make you want to chant USA incessantly, like the fans at WrestleMania or NASCAR, I don't know what will. Given that they had one of the largest empires the world has ever seen, it's no surprise that Britain is often the unidentified foe in many of the world's national songs. But they too have their own special musical affirmation. It is of course, God Save the Queen. Its origins are unclear. The melody is said to derive from plain song which means it probably comes from the medieval period and is impossible to attribute to any one author. 17th century composer John Bull is sometimes credited with the piece, but not in any definitive way. 
God Save the Queen is also used by many Commonwealth countries, alongside their own national anthems. It's to honour their constitutional links with the British monarchy. And even beyond Her Majesty's reach, the song facilitates patriotic sentiment. In the US, the melody is used for My Country, Tis of Thee. Tiny Liechtenstein also uses it to honour its sovereign. But make no mistake about it, God Save the Queen is England's song. The lyrics, as you can imagine, are about the Queen, or the King, depending on who exactly is sitting on the throne. The standard version keeps it simple, asking God to protect the monarch and to send him victorious, happy and glorious. The longer version is a bit more aggressive, mentioning enemies and their knavish tricks. God Save the Queen as we know it though, is probably a little less explicit than other anthems. As such, subjects of the crown can interpret in it what they will. But the English, like most nations, seem to have a myriad of interpretations about who exactly they are. And so we come full circle. Who exactly are we, or who am I in a national sense? Well, I was proud to be Irish before most people age nine. When I really think about it, a lot of that had to do with my boyish attachment to soldiers, armies and war. And the idea that there had been people who fought and who died for Ireland. Why is that so alluring? Is it the sacrifice? Is defending or dying for something the greatest love of all? Does this nation, this nationalism, make me feel less alone? Not so long ago, I would have disavowed nationalism and considered it anathema to any kind of better world. Because its perils are so obvious conflict, racist tribalism, a ready-made stick for the human race to beat itself back into the dark ages with. But it doesn't have to be that way. Sociologist Benedict Anderson says the nation, or the imagined community as he calls it, is as real as we make it. And it's not all us versus them. The nation also suggests the idea of utopia, a fellowship of benevolence, where we look out and care for people that we're not personally connected to. There is struggle, but there's also joy. How beautiful is it to hug someone I don't even know when Ireland scores a goal that qualifies them for the next round of the World Cup, rare as that is. But is that something I'd really rather be without? I don't think so. Basically, that's what the national anthem is all about. It reinforces the collective, the community, and now I can see this community in other nations too. There are certain scenes 
in certain films that always make me teary. Welcome back to the bobsledding venue for this, the last day of competition. It's medal time, and John, the top six teams are separated by only half a second. One is the ending of the 1993 film Cool Runnings, which depicts the plight of the Jamaican bobsleigh team at the 1988 Winter Olympics. Having endured the ridicule of other teams from snowier countries, the Jamaicans are within a whisker of winning an unlikely medal. Then, disaster strikes, as the Jamaican bobsleigh goes out of control and crashes. Defeated, the team end up shouldering their sleigh over the finish line, to the applause of fans and detractors alike. I don't know what it is that strikes such a chord with me about this scene. I think it's the pride of the Jamaican nation in harmony with the admiration of the world. It's, it's like a microcosm of how I would like us all to be. Because the national and the international, they're not mutually exclusive. They happen at once, at the same time. And of course, anthems aren't for everyone. They certainly aren't above criticism. And they're not any kind of model of what we should all aspire to be. It's just that by sifting through them, by getting to know them, you learn quite a bit about what makes the nations of the world tick. And national anthems, at the end of the day, for this reason, are wonderful things. I think. Actually, I'm not really sure. They could just be jingoistic bullshit. I just really enjoy listening to them. This has been a Yarn Podcast. Written and narrated by Dermot Tobin. Recorded by John Roach.